letter nine of the outcast by william winwood reed this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine letter nine an overworked brain a troubled heart days of incessant anxiety and nights without sleep were the true elements of my illness and exposure to the storm but its proximate cause sooner or later it must have come and i was fortunate in being cast like a waif by the winds into the house of dr chalmers he restored me to health but i was in bed some weeks and my convalescence was slow though not tedious for many it is a happy time that period which lies between sickness and death it has its own delicate enjoyments such as the singing of a bird the scent of a flower the prospect of the blue sky the mere sensation of being in the bright open air the brain soon becomes weary but a calm and soothing sleep at once relieves its fatigue the selfishness of suffering is past gratitude and love which too often cease with convalescence then at least animate even the coldest dispositions i used to sit for hours in an easy-chair watching the doctor as he performed chemical experiments or made microscopic observations when i had regained my health i began the study of physical science and in six months had made considerable progress not only in the literature but also in the practice if i may use the expression of astronomy chemistry botany geology and comparative anatomy but could dr chalmers teach me all this was he a universal genius the fact is that his house was a college of the sciences since i had left home he had taken to live with him besides his medical assistant three scientific men whom he called his professors they were an astronomer a geologist and a comparative anatomist all men of mature years who having given up their lives to pure science had found it difficult to live dr chalmers had plucked them out of poverty and had given them a home only stipulating in return that they should work and regularly publish the results of their researches they were all delighted when i was presented to them as a pupil and spared no pains to make me a proficient each in turn privately assuring me that his science was the most important and the most interesting i spent an hour or two with each of them every day the anatomist inhabited a room built over the stables on a large marble table usually lay some quaint-looking animal which he was dissecting and round the room were arranged in systematic order the skeletons of the animal kingdom culminating with a chimpanzee and a man standing side by side their arms affectionately interlocked the anatomist told me that his parents who were poor had sent him to guy's hospital he had passed a good examination and had taken his diploma but a visit to the museum of the college of surgeons sent him out of his senses from that time he could think of nothing else but comparative anatomy and dr chalmers saved him from starvation the geologist resided in a fine library furnished with works on his science in english german and french and coloured maps and diagrams hung from the walls he had a large cabinet filled with specimens of rocks and of precious minerals in nests of cotton wool and promised that when i had mastered these and read up the textbooks he would give me lessons in field geology and show me nature at work and take me where i could study the dip of strata and faults and other phenomena which could be but imperfectly learnt from books the geologist had once been a labourer and had taught himself to read and write 
the finding some fossils in a quarry set him on to geology which he studied after his day's work was done and the rector of the parish having a taste for the science obtained him a situation in a small country museum there he educated himself and continued his favourite pursuit and there he was found by dr chalmers who offered him bed and board and all his time to himself and as much pocket-money as he might require the astronomer had been an optician he studied the sun and the moon and the stars from a tower at the end of the garden with a small chamber at the top almost filled by an enormous telescope the roof of the observatory was a dome in which was a fissure or window-like opening the telescope being pointed towards that part of the sky which was to be the field of observation a crank was turned and the dome which rested on cannon-balls and grooves turned round till the window came opposite the telescope on a table were papers covered with abstruse mathematical calculations the professors met at dinner in the evening and i found their conversation delightful and instructive after dinner they went to the common room as it was called where they read the papers and the scientific periodicals to these they contributed but each professor was also preparing a book the labour of years and the summary of a life's investigations the volcanoes of the moon the natural arrangement of fossils the homologies of the animal kingdom were the titles of these forthcoming works dr chalmers had already published a book on the chemistry of plants he maintained that it was the duty of every student in science history and all other provinces of knowledge to place on record in a permanent and accessible form the result of his research and experience to amass knowledge and to take it to the grave was to be a miser of that which was to mankind more precious than gold such a person however learned he might be was utterly useless to his species and the modesty which shrank from publication was in most cases an excessive vanity resembling disease he advised me to continue my general studies for some months more and then to select one science he had little doubt that i would fix upon geology in which case some knowledge of botany and comparative anatomy would be indispensable and therefore my present work would not be thrown away i followed his advice and utilized my opportunities but you must not think that margaret was forgotten if the virulence of my grief had abated the dull aching pain yet remained i told dr chalmers how the ardour of the spiritual life had once enabled me to drive margaret from my mind and i asked him if he thought that devotion to science would have a similar effect why said he do you wish to forget her i should say rather hallow and preserve her memory place her image on the altar of your heart believe that she is the witness and judge of your actions and your thoughts then your life will be noble and pure love without hope then your love will be to you as a religion for none so nearly approaches the love that is divine these words extravagant as they may seem touched me deeply for i knew that he had given up his life to a hopeless love which he had kept during long years chained down within his breast as in a dungeon and had fed it only with the bread of affliction and the water of tears however i must proceed more quickly with my narrative it was tacitly settled between the doctor and myself that i was always to stay at his house and he also projected visits to london geological excursions and so forth one day as i was passing through a shrubbery near the stable-yard which overlooked the road i heard james who was in the dog-cart talking with one of the doctor's grooms 
and as they spoke very loud i soon discovered that my father was the subject of the conversation he was like a mad dog james said when he heard that i was living with the doctor he had taken the latter to task james being present and had got as good as he gave with summit to spare and he was that furious he'd ride over the moors and leap the stone walls rather than pass the doctor's house this seemed to afford satisfaction to the servants for my father was not universally beloved but it was a sad blow for me i felt that i must go when i announced this resolution to my friend he said i owed my father no duty since he had cast me off i replied that still he was my father he had brought me up i had lived upon his bread he had loved me so far as was in him to love he had sacrificed to me many long hours and had placed all his hopes in my gaining glory or at least doing my duty in the church those hopes i had shattered the last half of his life i had embittered it could not be helped it was not my fault but still so it was and at least i ought not to cause him unnecessary pain it would cost me much to go away for i was very happy there but my conscience left me no choice do you love your father inquired the doctor i answered without hesitation no i he said made a sacrifice for one whom i loved but you can sacrifice yourself for one whom you do not love and yet you say you are not a christian because i have ceased to be a christian i replied that is to say because i have ceased to believe in the divinity of christ is that a reason for me to reject what is good in the teaching of a good man dr chalmers was much depressed by this determination he loved me for myself and not only for myself often i had observed his eyes fixed sadly and fondly on my face in which he saw the features of one who was no more however in a few days something occurred which gave another channel to his thoughts he received a letter from my father to the following effect it was all over the country that on the night of my arrival he my father had discovered in a secret drawer a packet of letters from dr chalmers to my mother having read these letters he showed them to me and turned me out of doors and i of course was adopted by the doctor my father said that this mischievous tale would be kept alive so long as i remained where i was he made no appeal to me whom he looked upon as lost but if dr chalmers cared for the reputation of a lady who could no longer defend herself he would prove it by sending me away he must see for himself that this abominable scandal had arisen wholly and solely from the fact of my being harboured in his house dr chalmers at first declared that the story was a trick but that i could not allow for i knew that my father would never tell a lie a few inquiries made through a trustworthy servant brought ample confirmation of the fact it made a sad impression on the doctor's mind for a quarter of a century he said i have lived with these people and there is not one amongst them who has not received a personal kindness at my hands she also was good to them all and this is how they speak of us oh poor human nature poor human nature he resolved to leave harborne and never to see it again having placed the establishment under the charge of his housekeeper till he could make some permanent arrangements for the professors he went with me up to london he declared that he would travel and explore the wild countries of the world and seek in savage life that gratitude of which civilized men merely possess a shadowy remnant the relic of primitive times i may as well say at once that he was not very successful at mozambique he bought and set free a negro slave 
who stole his gold watch and decamped with a slave-hunting expedition into the interior in patagonia he rescued a wife from being half murdered by her giant of a husband in return for which she assisted with a hearty good will her lord and master to belabour him lastly he took up his abode in brazil with a tribe of bush indians who having begged from him all that he had in his possession stripped him of his clothes and turned him out of their camp as an idle vagabond who knew nothing of hunting or fishing and was not able to pay for his keep End of letter nine recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.